Well, as we are reminded of God's common grace in the rain falling down on us, let us be reminded of God's special grace to us in the, the reading and the preaching of his word. Nick, why don't you come on down, brother? Nick is going to read our passage for us. We are going to read in the second half here of James chapter 5. Um, kind of just between ending our Gospel of John series and before we start uh, Daniel next Sunday, we're just taking two weeks here in James's letter as we think about what patience and prayer look like in light of the resurrection. So last week, um, Dustin reminded us of patience in light of the resurrection, and this morning we are going to be looking at prayer in light of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with you this morning, both of which I guess you're putting at risk in the rain here. Uh, so maybe you just want to follow along or hear as Nick reads our passage. We are in James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18. Okay, let us uh, hear the word of the Lord, uh, James 5, verses 13 through 18, the prayer of faith. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Well, in Tim Keller's book, Prayer, in the midst of a very stressful season of life, he recounts a conversation he and his wife, Kathy, had. One, one evening in the midst of this stressful season of life, she approaches him and she asked him to do something that they never had been able to do before. She approached Tim and said, Tim, will you commit to pray with me every night? Every night. He then recounts a vivid illustration that she used that crystallized her feelings. She said to Tim, imagine that you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill every night before going to sleep. She said, imagine that you were told that you Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? She said, no, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, she says, if we don't, if we don't pray together to God, we are not going to make it because of all we're facing. If we don't pray, we're not going to make it. Those are 
Those are powerful words. My point here in giving this illustration isn't to say that, that couples have to pray together every night. That's not the point I'm wanting to make here. But to point out how Kathy's statements, if we don't pray, we're not going to make it, is just such a relatable place for you and me. Such a relatable feeling. As we look at everything going on in our life or in the world around us, as we easily, as we can look around and get overwhelmed or confused, it doesn't take long for us to start thinking that we're not going to make it. And this is certainly where James's original readers were. In light of all that was going on in their lives, it probably didn't take long for them to think we are just not going to make it. And so James here, as he closes his letter, is writing to them, encouraging them to pray because he knows that if they don't pray, they are not going to make it. So here in these verses, these closing verses, he's writing to encourage his readers to pray in all situations because of what God can do in and through our prayers. And brothers and sisters, we have good, good news for us this morning because the Spirit wants to show you and I the same thing this morning. The Spirit wants to do the same thing in your heart and my heart this morning, and that is to encourage us to pray in all situations because of what God can do in and through our prayers. So this morning, as we look at our passage this morning, as we look at James chapter 5, we're going to look in our text and we're going we're gonna to see how that's the case as we look at, um, as we answer two questions. First, when should we pray? And second, why should we pray? That's going to be our outline, the when and the why. When should we pray and why should we pray? First, let's look at when should we pray. In the, the first, pa the first uh, half of our passage this morning, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is calling his readers to pray in all situations. He wants them to see that no matter their circumstances in life, no matter what is going on, the appropriate response is always prayer. And he does this by asking three questions that cover the range of our human experience, certainly painting in broad strokes, but I think everything we experience in life falls under these categories. The first here he says in verse 13, he first asks, is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you experiencing difficulty? <laughs> you can almost imagine in the midst of this church that many hands are raised as James asked this question. As we saw last week, the majority of James's readers are suffering. They're facing persecution and poverty. They're being oppressed by the rich and by the powerful. And all of this on top of just the daily struggles, the daily realities of living in, the, in this fallen world where we are just acquainted with death, disease, and disorder. And just like the original readers, I know that many of you here this morning would be raising your hand too if we asked, are any of you suffering? Just wondering, what does your suffering look like this morning? Perhaps you are here and you're suffering the loss of a loved one. Maybe the death of a dream or the waywardness of someone that you love. 
Maybe you are well acquainted with relational suffering as a meaningful relationship has been a significant, has been a source of significant pain, discouragement, and hurt for you. Well, in light of your suffering, what are you to do? How are, how are we to respond in the midst of our suffering? Well, James's answer is as brief as it is brilliant when he says, let him or her pray. As we experience difficulties, as we face trials of various kinds in this life, we are called to pray. This week, I was just reflecting on my own life, how often I need to be reminded of this, because in the midst of suffering in this life, rather than pray, I find that I so often pout. <laughs> Instead of praying, I like to pout in the midst of my suffering. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you can relate with that. I, I am very good at pouting and throwing pity parties in the midst of my suffering. As we saw last week, James's readers, their response was to grumble and to complain against one another. Just right now, as you are aware of suffering in your life, what has been your response? Well, here, no matter what your response has been, in this verse here in verse 13, James shows us the distinctively Christian way to respond to our suffering as he calls us to pray. We are called to cry out to God in the midst of the painful and perplexing situations in our lives and to ask for his help. We're to ask for his comfort, for his peace, for, his, for an awareness of his presence with us. So this morning, are you suffering? If so, hear God's invitation to you this morning to pray to him. Next, James goes to the other side of the spectrum in this second question he, as he asks as he talks to those who are cheerful in verse 13, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him or her sing songs of praise. Here on the other side of the spectrum from suffering, James now speaks to those who are cheerful, those who are, are prospering in their circumstances and in their souls. And his instruction to them is to sing songs of praise. In preparing for this message, I was struck by something that the, the pastor Douglas Moo wrote in his commentary on this passage where he wrote, a reminder to turn to God is needed even more in times of cheer than in times of suffering. Can you, can you relate to that? A reminder to turn to God is needed even more in times of cheer than in times of suffering. I know that this is true in my own life. When things are going well, I find the temptations to self-sufficiency and to forgetfulness so easy to give into. When the bank account looks good, when the job is safe, when the kids are doing well, when your grades are high, when the social media feed is getting filled with likes and loves and follows and everything else you do on there, it is very easy to forget God and to think that you are responsible for all of the cheer, for all of the good in your life. But James wants better for us. And so he calls us to give thanks to God for all that he has done for us. He calls us to sing songs of praise to acknowledge that there is absolutely nothing that we have that we didn't receive. So this morning, are you cheerful? Are things well with your soul this morning? If so, pray and give thanks to God, the one who has made that possible.
So we've seen that whether we are suffering or whether we are cheerful, we are to pray. And here with the last question he asks, he talks to those who are sick. Follow along with me in verses 14 and 15. Here lastly, James asks, Is anyone among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, friends, this is a difficult passage, to say the least. And I'm sure a number of questions arise in your mind at the reading of these verses. And I'm not going to be able to say everything I can say. I do want to answer a few of the questions that this text raises. But if you have any questions or any concerns, feel free to talk to myself or any of the elders after this service. We would love to provide any clarification on prayer and sickness and sin. So I just want to hit a couple questions this passage raises first. And the first is, 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 this, is this passage saying here that God always heals? And I think that the answer is that no, in this life, this, these verses are not saying that God always heals people. As we see hinted at in these verses, James does point to an ultimate healing when the believer is raised on the last day and receives a glorified body. Then healing is promised once and for all. But this text does not promise a guaranteed healing in this life. But just as we can say the text is not guaranteeing a healing for those who are sick, here in this passage, we do have a reminder that God does at times, according to his good providence, provide temporary healings in this life. If, if that wasn't the case, if God did not heal people through prayer, James would not be telling us to do so. So here in this passage, we do need to feel the effect. We do need to have our, our faith for God's healing and prayer raised as we read these verses because God does heal in prayer just not it's not guaranteed no it's not guaranteed but this healing is to be prayed for the the next tricky thing that this passage here gets at is the connection between sickness and in sin because in the in the bible we do see connections between people's sin and their sickness. I think 1 Corinthians 11 is a great example of this. Those who were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, those who were sinning in the way they were taking the Lord's Supper by not having a desire for unity in the congregation, Paul says that some of them are sick and some have even fallen asleep because of their sin. But here in James, while it is possible that our sickness can be connected to a specific sin, we can't make that assumption, friends. We cannot make the assumption that just because some sickness can be caused by specific sin, that all sickness or any sickness that you might have this morning is connected to a specific sin. I think personally, I never assume that someone is sick because they have sinned in a specific way. And I would recommend that you would, would take that same posture, that if someone is sick, do not ask them 
In what ways have you sinned? I, I, when I was uh, in college, I took care of a, of a quadriplegic. Shortly after graduating from high school, this, uh, this gentleman was, in a, uh, was hit by a drunk driver, uh, made him a, a quadriplegic. And so many times throughout his life, he would just be charged with, like, God wants to heal you. Why, why are you still in this position? And they would, would charge him with sin or with having a lack of faith because he had not been healed. He would go to see people praying for him, and he, he was not healed even today. He is still in a wheelchair, and they would just charge him with having a lack of faith. And, and I mean, this was over a decade ago that I remember him telling me this, and I can just even now still see just the despair on his face of having friends charge him with a lack of faith or charge him with sin in his life as a reason for why he was not healed. So I think we would do well to see in this passage here that he says, and if he has committed sins, there is, is not a clear connection between sickness and sin in our lives. But again, I think we do need to hold these things in tension that just because there's not always a clear connection, I do think that we would allow this passage to serve as a great reminder for us in our own lives to take sin seriously and to confess our sins to one another if we have sinned against others. So as we think about this passage, as we hear what James is saying to those who find themselves sick, I think the bottom line for us, the takeaway here, is to allow this passage to give you faith to ask God for healing while trusting him if and when we are not healed in this life because we do have the promise of that ultimate healing is coming. That ultimate healing is coming at the resurrection. So this morning, if you are sick, God's invitation to you this morning would be to pray. God's invitation to you would be to pray for healing. And even as we see here specifically in these verses, it would be to pray and to ask the elders of the church to pray for you. This morning, I do want to encourage you, if you are sick this morning in need of healing, I would encourage you to come down after the service to, to ask for prayer. We would love to pray for you. Personally speaking, just one of the, most, one of the, one of the highlights of pastoral ministry for me these last number of years have been the opportunities that I have gotten to join with the other elders of this, of this church, being able to anoint those who are sick with oil and being able to pray over them. It has just been some of the most meaningful times for me as a pastor. So I want to encourage you, this is something we want to do. This is something that we desire to do for you, that we might pray and ask God to heal you. So don't think that you would be a burden. We would love to do that for you. So if you are sick, pray. So as we've been seeing here in this first half of this, of the, this passage here this morning in verses 13 through 16, James is wanting us to see that we are to pray in all situations. As one pastor put it, suffering, sunny, or sick, pray. <laughs> I think that sums up those verses pretty well. Suffering, sunny, or sick, pray. That's God's invitation to us this morning. It's the first thing he wants us to see. And now secondly, we see that he, he wants to show us why we should pray. He's told us we should pray, and now he's going to show us why we should pray. 
Because the truth is, it's one thing to be told to pray, but being told to pray isn't going to mean much to us, and it's certainly not going to stir our hearts to want to pray unless we have a clear understanding of why. And thankfully, James knows that his readers are going to be asking themselves that exact same question. It's almost like in James's mind, he can see the, the readers of his letter just shaking their heads way down with the worries of the day, thinking, what good is prayer going to do before they move on to, to other more important things? So I just want to ask, have you ever been there? Have you ever thought to yourself, why pray? What good is prayer going to do? Nothing is going to change. It is what it is. Friends, I, I have been there. I can relate, and uh, I can relate with you there. But the good news is, is that as we turn to this passage, we are given a very clear, a very compelling, a very encouraging reason to pray this morning. And the reason that James shows us is because our prayers have great power. The reason why James calls his readers, to pr his listeners to pray in all situations is because our prayers have great power. Did you see that there at the end of verse 16? At the end of verse 16, he answers why we should pray, where he, why we should pray when he says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Our prayers have great power as they're working. The reason why James has called us to pray in all situations is because there is great power in our praying. Do you believe that? This morning, as you think about whatever situation you're facing, whether you are in the midst of suffering, whether it is in sickness, whatever is going on in your life, do you believe that your prayers have great power, that your prayers can accomplish great things? As we think about this, we do need to remember that, that there's nothing in and of our, of our words that have power in and of themselves. But as we look at this passage, we see that our prayers are powerful because the God that we pray to is powerful. That's what James is wanting his readers to see here. We come to God in prayer, and our prayers have great power because the one we are praying to is powerful. The truth is that you and me, we are ordinary people praying ordinary prayers. But the good news is, is that we are praying to an extraordinary God. So if you hear and you find yourself tempted and wondering what good is prayer going to do, let verse 16 serve as an encouragement to your soul that we are to pray in all situations because God works powerfully through our prayers. And he gives us a great illustration, in fact, a very fitting illustration on this rainy morning. Look at the illustration he gives of the great power that our prayer has in verses 17 and 18. He gives us the illustration of Elijah. Follow along as I read. James, illustrating his great power, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah prayed, and the heavens were shut. 
three and a half years later, Elijah prays again, and the skies open, and the heavens give their rain. Talk about great power. I'm sure this morning, I was not alone in praying that God would shut the heavens, (laughs) in praying that God would stop the rain. I'm sure I'm not alone, and yet, as we have seen this morning, the the prayer or the rain did not stop. But we will see why in a moment that is the case. But the power here we can see, we all felt powerless to stop the rain, but this example of Elijah shows us the great power that God has in stopping the rain in the sense of when he prayed, God heard his prayer and answered it and stopped the rain. And the amazing thing here is that this example that James uses, this illustration here, it's meant to encourage you and me to pray expecting that God can do the same great things in our lives as he did in Elijah's. You see, James wants us to know and believe that deep in our bones, that just as God worked powerfully through Elijah's prayers, that he will work powerfully through your and my prayers as well. Isn't this encouraging? Well, you might be wondering, Josh, why in the world should this be encouraging to me if Elijah prayed and it rained, and it, it, it prayed that it wouldn't rain and it stopped, and I prayed and it didn't rain, that it would stop raining, and yet it kept raining. Well, I think the answer there, the encouragement that we see in this passage, is that the reason why Elijah's prayers had great power is because unlike you and me, when we prayed for the rain to stop this morning, when Elijah prayed that the rain would stop, he was praying according to God's word for the Israelites in that situation. You see, Elijah's prayer had great power. Elijah's prayer was effective because he was praying according to the revealed word of God. I realize this is confusing. Let me unpack the illustration real quick. So when Elijah, Elijah's prayer can seem random at first. It's like, why in the world is Elijah praying that the rain would stop? It seems like a very random request, but as we look at the Old Testament, we see that Elijah's prayer is not a random request at all, but he is praying and he is asking God to do the very thing that he had promised to do. You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God promises his people in two different places that he will withhold rain from the land. He will cause the rain to stop if the people turn from worshiping him to worshiping other idols, to worshiping other gods. And so Elijah knew that when that praying to stop the rain wasn't just a random prayer request, but it, when he prayed that, he was praying and asking God to do what he had promised he would do. You see, in Elijah's time under King Ahab, King Ahab was one of the worst kings in Israel's history, and the people had just gone turned so far from the Lord. They had turned so far into idolatry. Elijah, God's prophet, sees the people in their sin and rebellion against God and his word, and he prays that God would carry out his word on the Israelites, meaning he was praying that God would withhold, would judge his people in this way, and specifically in this way, by withholding the rain. 
So when Elijah prays that the rain would stop, he is praying that God would keep his word, that he would shut the heavens and that he would judge the people for disobeying his word. Far from being a a random prayer that Elijah had here, he was simply asking God to do what he had promised to do. And as we see in James, as we see in 1 Kings, those are prayers that that God loves to answer. When we pray God's word back to him, we can have great confidence that these are prayers that God will answer. And I think that this is, uh, that we just, there's a lot that we can gain from Elijah's example here when it comes to what and how we pray in different situations. You see, oftentimes uh, in our praying, in our prayer lives, oftentimes the struggle with prayer for us can be not so much that we don't want to pray, but our struggle can be that we don't know, we don't know what to pray. We want to pray, but we, find, but we find ourselves struggling with what to pray. And the truth is that this can be very discouraging for us. I mean, just think of the example of suffering, right? Suffering is something that we all experience. Oftentimes when we are suffering or when someone that we know and love is suffering, we, our, our pray, we, we will pray that their suffering will stop. We can pray that their circumstances will change. And, and rightly so, those are things that we want to pray But sometimes that's about as far as our prayers go. We will pray that the suffering will stop, that circumstances will change. But as time goes on and those things don't happen, we can easily become discouraged. We can easily think, why do I want to pray if nothing's happening? We don't know what else to pray. But as we follow Elijah's example here and as we search the Bible for things to pray, we find that there is so much more that we can pray in these moments of suffering. I was just thinking about James chapter 1 this week and how it gives us examples of things that we can pray. In times of suffering, it just, this is just from James chapter 1, as we look to the Bible to give us words to pray in moments like Elijah did. And just in James 1, we can pray that God will enable us to count our suffering as all joy. We can pray, as we see in verse 5, that God will give us the wisdom that we need in the midst of our suffering. And we can pray, as we see in verse 6, that God will give us the faith to trust in him so that we don't doubt his promises. I mean, these are three different prayers that the Bible is giving us to pray in in the midst of our suffering. And that's just from six verses in James. I mean, there there are so many great prayers that we can pray that the Bible gives us to pray. I think Psalm 130, the prayer of lament that we prayed this morning, is another great example of this. In times of suffering, as we look around, we can pray the Psalms and allow them to give us words to pray when we're not sure what to say in the midst of different situations. And the encouraging thing is just like we saw with Elijah, when we bring God's word directly into our praying, we are bringing God's power directly into our praying. As we look at the example of Elijah, we see that as we pray God's word back to him, as we ask God to do what he has promised he would do, we can have confidence that those prayers will have great power. So if you find yourself struggling with not knowing what to pray in certain situations, whether it's for yourself 
or for other people. Just let me encourage you to search the scriptures, especially search the Psalms for biblical prayers to pray where you can pray God's word back to him and have great faith that those prayers will have great power. Left my copy at home, but Don Whitney's book, Praying the Bible, so praying the Bible, that is a wonderful resource. If you are wanting to be equipped with how to pray the Bible well, Donald Whitney's book, Praying the Bible, will do that really well. Additionally, I do just um, other resources that we use here in our own services, things like the Book of Common Prayer, where we normally pray our corporate confessions and other prayers, um, the Puritan Collection, Valley of Vision, um, even the newer, newly released uh, um, books, uh, Every Moment Holy. These have great prayers that are based from the Bible that are oftentimes just taken right from the Bible and put together. These are great resources, resources for us that give us words to pray in certain situations where we can pray God's word back to him, confident that those words will have great power. So this morning, if you are suffering, sunny, or sick, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible to grab your Bible, to open it up, and to pray God's word back to him, trusting that your prayers will have great power. Just lastly here, as we look at this passage, as we've gone throughout this whole thing, you might be thinking to yourself, Joshua, all of that sounds great, but it seems like you're leaving out a pretty important part of the passage where James says, that the prayers of a righteous person have great power. Sure, as you look at Elijah, that great Old Testament prophet, sure, his prayers had great power. Maybe this works really well for, for godly people today, for those super saints. Sure, their prayers have great power. But you might think to yourself, whoever James is talking about, it certainly doesn't include me. This is you, if this thought has crossed your mind this morning. I just want to highlight a very important phrase in verse 17 for you as this ministered to my heart this past week. Do you notice the first thing that James says about Elijah? Look with me. He brings in Elijah and he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James wants us to know as we think about prayer, as we think about the great power available to you and me, that Elijah was not some super saint, but Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Let, this is good news. This, that phrase right there with a nature just like ours, guards, it guards our hearts from the temptation of thinking that we have to be at the front of the godliness line to pray and to receive extraordinary answers to our prayers. No, Elijah was a flawed and sinful human being just like you and me. But even more important, Elijah was a man declared righteous. He was a man declared righteous by grace through faith, just like you and me. 
And this gets us to the heart of the gospel that lies behind this entire passage. Because behind these invitations to pray this morning, behind these invitations to pray in whatever situation we are in, is the grace and generosity of God. This passage here is showing us what John Calvin, the the pastor and reformer of the 16th century said, where he said that there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. That's what we are seeing in this passage. We're seeing that there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. And this should amaze us. The fact that in these words, God is calling sinners like you and me to draw near to him in prayer is one of the most incredible realities that we could ever hear. Because left to ourselves, we are not able to draw near to our holy and just God. We are separated from him because of our sin and rebellion But in this passage here, we are reminded that we can draw near to God because God in his grace has drawn near to us in Jesus. And in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he has forgiven and cleansed us. And just like Elijah, he has declared us, you and me, all who are trusting in him this morning, he has declared us righteous so that just like Elijah, the prayers of a righteous man have great power as they are working. Our prayers have great power because we have been declared righteous in Christ. And God is now inviting us to himself. He's telling us to draw near to him. He is calling us to come closer to him. Well, brothers and sisters, no matter your circumstances this morning, whether you are suffering, sunny, or sick, let us know and be amazed that God is inviting us to himself to pray this morning. God is inviting us to draw near and to boldly pray his word back to him expectantly watching for his great power to be at work. Doesn't this just make you want to pray? Knowing that our prayers have great power as we pray God's word back to him because of what Christ has done for us, that is a great encouragement to prayer. And I think that's the application you and I need this morning. The application is to be amazed at God's invitation and to be aware of all that he can and do, he can do in and through our praying. And so let us be a praying people. Let us be a praying church, amazed by what God can do. Well, as we close this morning, I want to invite Scott and the band down this morning. Scott and Grace, servers, you can begin preparing the Lord's Supper. And what I'd like to do for the next few moments before we take the Lord's Supper is to pray. Like all of us just in the quiet of our own hearts here as we sit down in the park to be able to draw near to God. This morning, if you are suffering, maybe spend some time praying those things from James chapter 1 to God. If you're cheerful this morning, spend time giving thanks to God, specifically thanking him for the good things in your life. If you're sick, pray. Pray, ask God for healing, knowing that he can and does heal people after service come down as well. So why don't we spend a few moments in prayer this morning?